Have you ever asked yourself, am I a bad therapist? Well, you're in the right place. I'm Allie Joy, licensed professional counselor and registered art therapist. And I'm Catherine Escare, a clinical psychologist, and you're listening to Am I a Bad Therapist? Join us each week for stories from behind the closed therapy door. You'll hear experiences that made us ask, am I a bad therapist? Including bloopers, jaw droppers, and other difficult moments that normalize the unique struggles of modern day therapists. This is a space with no experts, no gurus, and no hierarchies, just humans sitting in similar chairs. And while we're not the gatekeepers for good and bad therapy, because we're bad therapists too, we are here to shine a light on the difficult decisions therapists face on a daily basis and normalize that mysterious gray area of clinical practice that no one wants to talk about. So we have heard from three incredible colleagues in episodes one through three about their situations that made them question, am I a bad therapist or not? Uh, Hopefully you have gleaned some inspiration and some entertainment from them. Um, But we thought, Allie and I thought that it would be fun to share some of our own stories about why these OG bad therapists um, why we, what situations we encountered that made us question our, um, our abilities as therapists. So we're going to be sharing our stories for episodes four and five. Yes. And today, Catherine, you are in the hot seat. I am. And before we get started with my juicy story, this is a friendly reminder that everything we say here is for entertainment purposes and it is not intended or should be used as a substitute for therapy, consultation, or ethical guidance. Hi, Catherine. We already know a little bit about you, that you are one of our hosts here on Am I a Bad Therapist, an OG bad therapist, and all that fun stuff. But tell us a little bit about yourself and your clinical practice. Thanks, Allie. So hi, I am Catherine Escare. I'm a licensed psychologist, also an MBA graduate. I um, previously had a career in organizational consulting, um, but went back and did a second residency to um, get clinically licensed. And I currently work and live in my very rural hometown in Pennsylvania. Very proud of coming from central Pennsylvania. And I'm really grateful to be able to serve the community community clinically. Um, We have a mental health drought where I'm located. We do not have a lot of providers. And so moving back and giving back to the community that gave me so much was incredibly important. So my practice is integrated into a primary care organization. So I work alongside of the amazing frontline providers that carried us through this pandemic, all of the physicians, nurses, and administrative assistants that really did did the grueling work. So I'm super proud to be a part of my organization. And I I am also founder of the Teletherapist Network, which is Yay! how Allie, you and I connected. <laughs> yes, the network is amazing. If you haven't already, check it out. I'm giving a shameless plug here because I love the network so much. I have no association with it except that I love it and I'm a proud member. We have incredible consultation, amazing peers, master classes. I run a great group called Creativity in the Clinical Room. <laughs> so absolutely come join the network because it's such yeah. a great support. <laughs> You are so amazing. You're going to make me cry. Thank you for that little plug. So, Well, I mean it. Genuinely mean it. I love it so much. 
It is my it is my passion project. So that came out of COVID when I was feeling super isolated and clinically lonely. I say that clinically lonely because I lived in a full house, like with mm-hmm. two kids, my husband, my sister. Like we had a lot going on in our house. But yeah. clinically, I was super isolated. And so mm-hmm. the Teletherapist Network came um, out of that. And so it's just been this huge passion project that I'm just so grateful to connect with awesome people like you. So between the Teletherapist Network and my clinical uh, caseload, Aya, and my kids, <laughs> I am. I am full up to the max, but that's just a little bit about me. There's there's a lot yeah. of fun facts that I'm sure will come out over the series. Mm-hmm. Well, and we had to just throw a podcast to, you know, be the cherry on the top of everything. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> I don't say no that well. Yes, but it's okay. I think it's worth sharing. We have amazing stories. And today we're going to hear yours. So this is episode four of Am I a Bad Therapist? Catherine, let's get into it. Awesome. Well, spoiler alert. Yes, I think we're all bad therapists, but that being a bad therapist isn't a bad thing. It's a part of being human. And we say that tongue in cheek, the bad therapist line. So I'm proud bad therapist status <laughs> over here. Um, so the story I'm going to share today was the first oh shit moment I had as a therapist where it's it, it, it was a moment where I thought, this is the shit you read about in textbooks. Mm-hmm. This is it. Like this is Oh my God moment. Um, and it happens to have occurred during my first semester of clinical internship. So a lot was on what I perceived to have a lot on the line. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I don't Just know if there was actually the a lot on the line or not, but, uh, I felt like it was, it was hanging by a thread. Um, yeah. but So let me set the scene here. I am a doctoral intern. I'm finishing up, uh, I'm starting, excuse me, starting my fourth year of my doctoral program. And I have a doctoral internship at a private practice. And this private practice does a lot of different things, very uh, generalized. Um, They see a lot of different outpatient um, presentations, but they also have a very specialized niche in um, pre-hire assessment selections. So given my interest and my then career, to be career, in organizational uh, consulting, I was really thrilled to get matched with this internship where I got to do pre-hire assessments for a very large um, international nonprofit organization. We had a contract with them. So um, what would happen is these uh, potential hires would fly in from all over the country, sometimes world. They'd be put up um, in a hotel and they'd meet with me for an entire day so I can do a very rigorous full battery assessment. And this assessment included personality assessments. It included, you know, um, some intelligence screeners. It included um, the Rorschach. It included a lot of different measures. And so this was kind of like a very big battery for me to take on as an intern. And I had been working my way up to it. I had been you know, sitting in with the other psychologists in the practice, taking over pieces of different assessments. Um, and this, I, I was all set up. I was going to get my first full assessment just on my own, obviously clinically supervised, but I was mm-hmm. going to administer it, score it, write the report, everything, start to finish, provide feedback, the whole nine yards. Super, super excited. I really loved this work. And so um, I'm like prepping for it and I'm getting ready and I'm getting myself pumped. And um, I, I roll up to the the private practice, which was, I think I got there at about like 7 a.m. I'm an early bird. So I got there at 7. I think the assessment was scheduled to start at 7.30 um, or 8 pretty, 
No, I think it was start, it was scheduled to start at eight. I got there at seven, but my pre-hire was actually already there. Wow. Um, maybe about That's like 7.15. Really yeah, Holy pretty moly. early. So like ready to go. <laughs> so I'm like <laughs> yeah. setting things up and, and um, I am setting things up. The pre-hire comes in with a partner and, um, you know, it's a little awkward because I'm also the only one in the building at this time. Um, and the administrative assistant wasn't there yet. My supervisor wasn't there yet. Um, it was just me kind of setting it up, getting things ready. And I like had to do a triple take because this, this pre-hire who is not from this area lives out of state. I know this because I had all the biographical information like pre, uh, pre to the, uh, leading up to this assessment. I knew that I should not know this person and, but they look super familiar and it dawns on me. This person, I shared a table with this pre-hire, this client two nights ago at my college friend's wedding. Oh my goodness. Yeah. So here I am. I am an intern with no supervisor in the house. Mm -hmm. I realized that this pre-hire who traveled from very far away to be here and evidently for his, for uh, his, um, I don't want to break confidentiality here and for a wedding as well. The same weekend, the wedding happened to be um, near where my practice was. And so they traveled in for this wedding and for this pre-hire assessment. And here I am, no supervisor. And I know that they saw me consume alcohol at a cocktail table at a wedding (laughs) two nights prior. So I am absolutely freaking out. And now for a quick ad break. Fun fact. Allie and I actually met on the Teletherapist Network. That we did. And if you'd like to join like-minded therapists like us in a private network away from the distractions of social media, just visit teletherapistnetwork.com. There is so much going on inside the network. There's clinical consultation groups like the one I host, Creativity in the Clinical Room. There's media requests, templates, masterclasses, and more. And we would love for you to join us at teletherapistnetwork.com. Finding artwork that is appropriate for the therapy room while also being aesthetically pleasing can be such a challenge. Well, that is why I created the Joy of Therapy Shop. It is full of mental health art prints, accessories, and more. You can find items ranging from a bohemian vibe to funny quotes to lighten the mood. My favorite right now are the holographic stickers. Me too. As a Bad Therapist listener, you can get your first digital download of an individual print for just 25 cents using the code BADTHERAPIST. Go to joyoftherapy.com to find my Etsy store and Instagram account. And let's get back into it. Yeah. I mean, how could you not? Again, I feel like even not as an intern, like if that happened now, I would probably freak out. So I can't imagine how you felt as an intern. Right. And this is like, at this point, I'm maybe like 24. I want to say I was like 24, 25. Mm -hmm. So it's not too far past 21 where I still think people shouldn't see me drink. (laughs) Like I'm still (laughs) like very like, oh my gosh, what are they going to think of me Mm -hmm. Um, type deal. And I do, you know, like to tear up the dance floor at weddings. So I was dancing, not totally wild. Um, I was actually quite grateful. My, um, I think we were engaged at that point. My now husband had a work trip the following day. So that Sunday. So we actually didn't stay super late at the wedding. So I'm, I was looking back saying, oh, thank God, thank God yes. I didn't stay late. Um, but this person and I actually shared a cocktail table. So 
what I ended up having to do was stall and stall. I did. <laughs> um, I stalled and stalled and stalled until my supervisor made it to the practice, which was maybe like eight 30. Um, so we're already behind schedule and, um, I'm like questions while I'm waiting for her to get here are just running through my head of, mm-hmm you know, can I do this? Like I did not have any interactions, but it was so drilled into me in graduate school that dual relationships should be avoided. This is my own interpretation. Mm -hmm. I now do not practice this way, but dual relationships should be avoided at all costs, right? Dual relationship, Mm -hmm. refer out, don't do it. Don't mess with it. Clean, clean cut. You're done. Right. So I'm sitting here thinking, oh my goodness, like this pre-hire traveled in, probably scheduled this assessment for this weekend because of this mutual wedding we were at two nights ago. Right. And I'm going through, uh, my first was like heartbreak of one, I've prepped for this forever. I was so excited, ready to go. And two, how inconvenient, and maybe this is my own stuff showing, but inconveniencing others really triggers me. Mm-hmm. So how inconvenient of uh, would it be to have to cancel and reschedule? Because I knew that all the other psychologists that could do this battery, they all had clients throughout the whole day. Like they, their days were booked. They weren't going to, I would assume they weren't going to drop everything and, and pick up this case. Yeah. So give me the timeline one more time. So you get there at seven. Yeah. He gets yeah. there or they get there at 715. Yeah. And you said you stalled for, till eight. So what time do you think you estimate like that you realized that you knew the person. What around time do you think that was? I would say probably around like 7.45. So like 15 minutes prior mm-hmm. to us starting. So they knew that they were earlier. They were fine waiting. Mm-hmm. Um, but I realized it. It was one of those things that it had to sit for a while because he and I didn't have interactions at the wedding. We shared – we like – we had, excuse me, we had one interaction. I asked if this table was free and if my husband and I could stand next to him and his partner. And so Mm -hmm. we did, we asked how they knew the bride and groom. We shared our stories of knowing the bride and groom. And then we went on our merry way. That was Mm -hmm. it. Um, and so we didn't, it wasn't this big thing, but because it was so like, honestly, if it had been two weeks after, I probably would not have put two and two together, but because it was two nights after Mm -hmm. I did. And, and how did you stall? Was- That's what I'm like. <laughs> what did you do to stall for 45 minutes? You know, honestly, I came clean. Mm-hmm. I, you know, I, I don't know if he recognized me, but I went up to him and I said, you know, hey, I recognize you from the wedding two nights ago, and. I think I think I I think he was being polite, but he said, "Oh yeah, I thought I knew you from somewhere." <laughs> and so I said, "Listen, I'm I'm gonna have to consult with my supervisor. I have a call into them. They should be coming in soon. They should be arriving soon. My supervisor was most likely on the road at this time. Mm-hmm. And um, you know, would you mind waiting? I would hate to have to reschedule. For, so I want to see what what we can do here. Um, and during this conversation, I did ask like how, you know, comfortable are you, you know, if you were to do an assessment with me and he didn't think anything of it. He said, no, that's totally fine. I mean, I don't know if he really knew the type of detail that we were going to get into with the assessment. Mm -hmm. So he might have answered differently (laughs) had he known the the level of uh, intimacy we were about to share. (laughs) So um, yeah, he was fine with it. Well, I, I have to commend that you just, you know, named it and said, I need to just wait on this, that kind of thing, just trying to cover all the bases. So I feel like that was such a good choice. Um, so it's 8.30, Ben kind of waiting, your supervisor comes in, what happens next? Oh my gosh, I like 
shuffle step to her very quickly. It's like, I need to talk to you. Let's go in your office. <laughs> it wasn't a big private practice. So like mm-hmm. the, uh, the client and their partner were still in the waiting room. And um, she was very calm, cool, and collected. My supervisor first was caught off guard because she just walked into the office not expecting anything. <laughs> and here I am having like, uh, I need help, <laughs> major help. And she talked me through it. She was, you know, she... Uh, does a lot of work for this organization. And so she has a lot of contacts in this organization. And so she has had to manage dual relationships, not like this, but dual relationships similar, maybe not, maybe similar. I don't really know. She's had to manage dual relationships for many years. She, it was also a, a kind of small community that we worked in. So, so she, you know, gave me, you know, asked me questions like, what did you do at the wedding? And I said, well, you know, I definitely drank. I had, it was an open bar and I ate food and, you know, I I danced on the dance floor. For some reason, I was really hung up on dancing on the dance floor. Like to me, that was like, well, now you can't be a psychologist. You danced at a (laughs) wedding. Like I was really hung up about that. Um, and so, um, she, you know, was like, well, it doesn't sound like, you know, you wouldn't have done any of those things, or it doesn't sound like you did anything that you wouldn't have done in public. And I was like, that, that is true. I don't think that's a hard and fast rule, but that was a good litmus test. Mm -hmm. And, you know, she said, what were your interactions like with him? And I said, we shared a cocktail table, we exchanged pleasantries, but you know, that was it. I didn't, I think she was gathering that me being in this situation with this person did not put them at a disadvantage for the assessment. Mm-hmm. I did not have knowledge or experiences with this person that would potentially make me biased. Um, she also asked about my, we because we were both at the same wedding, there was obviously some overlapping relationships there. And thankfully, we kind of explored that and the overlapping relationship of the bride and groom, or it was not something that would warrant that we would, the the pre-hire and I would have any connections elsewhere. Like it wasn't like we were going to run in. It was a very distant connection for both of us. So, so we kind of explored all that. And she said, well, you know, uh, you need to go back and you need to ask him what he remembers about you. Cause I was still very hung up on dancing. <laughs> <laughs> and so I go back and I ask him, you know, I, I know you're comfortable and, you know, I'm, I'm comfortable like assessing you. Like I'm, I just remember I, and I shared my, what I remembered of him from the wedding. Um, and he shared, yeah, that was, that was really all I remember of you too, was sharing that cocktail table, exchanging pleasantries. And, you know, that was it. So we left it at that and we, we continued on the assessment. Wow. Well, I'm glad that you guys were able to continue. Um, what, so you did the assessment. And what ran through your head afterwards? Were there thoughts that came up? Anything else that came up like post doing the assessment with that client? What happened? This was a tough one because I was, I, we talk about bias a lot in our work and Mm -hmm. I really had to work through and I was really grateful to be under supervision at this point because I was able to spend a lot of time working through potential biases in this because this wasn't just an assessment for diagnosis. This was a pre-hire assessment where he had a connection to my friend from college. And so I needed to make sure I needed to check myself that, you know, I'm working for the company that may or may not hire him, right? Mm -hmm. We're contracted with them. And I want like I went, I attended this friend's wedding. Like I want the best for her and all of her connections. Like I'm a very like loving, giving, like my, my wealth is your wealth type of person. And so it is, 
it, it, it really, I needed to work through, like, I want the best for this client, but they're not actually my client. They're pretty high on my client is the organization that's hiring me to do a good assessment on if this person would be a good fit. So knowing that, you know, this potential hire would probably get back to my friend. Um, and he knew that I knew my friend, we were both at the same wedding. He could easily go back and tell my friend, Hey, I, your friend assessed me and I didn't get the job. And what would that do to our relationship? So Mm -hmm. I, I ultimately, I knew nothing. We had a very long, uh, good relation, my friend and I, and I knew that she would understand and respect my, my clinical and ethical boundaries. Um, but you know, all of that played through my head. What is the fallout going to be outside of this assessment experience like this. And I think it it also really helped me hit home the magnitude of what we do as clinicians, especially assessment clinicians. The magnitude of what we do impacts people's lives so deeply and so, um, uh, and and not even the client's lives, but the client's family's lives, like the Mm -hmm. client's partner, the client's family, you know, it affects all, it affects all of them. So it, I I think I thought I was in the clear when I finished the assessment. And then my supervisor was like, so did you think about this and this and this? And how are you going to write it? And, you know, it it really hit it home. Yeah. So I had a lot of processing to do. It was a very, very good clinical experience for me. Yeah. And looking back on it, do you feel like you would have done anything differently? Would you have changed anything? Or what are your thoughts like reflecting now on it? That's a good question. I... I would still dance at a wedding. I still mm-hmm. do dance at weddings. <laughs> of course. We are humans, like we always say, and we will not stop dancing. <laughs> I um, I don't know if I would have done anything differently. Um, I might have – I think my, my supervisor did encourage me to go through with the assessment. Um, and I think that that was one. It, it was, you know, part of the workload. It would reflect – potentially negatively on, on the practice if we had to reschedule and someone had to spare the the company had to bear the cost of having this person travel in again. Um, so I think that even though I went through with it, I would still probably go through with it. But I think that having an option to get out of it would, being on my own now with my own license, I think I would have maybe weighed that a little bit more heavily, the option to reschedule when I felt a lot of self-imposed and also, you know, supervisory imposed pressure to continue with the assessment. I do think it was an okay ethical decision to continue. And, you know, I still might choose that again, but I do think that weighing the rescheduling part or transferring to a different clinician would have been felt like more of an option if I, if this were to present itself now. Yeah. And how about if this was happening to another clinician, someone who's listening to this podcast, they're in a similar situation. What advice would you give them and what would you say to them? Oh, I would say this is just part of the practice. Like this is part of being a human and having a life and supporting your friends and growing a big network. Um, I'm an incredibly social person and this was not the first or the last time I ran into someone where I did not, a client, a potential client or pre-hire assessment where I didn't expect it. Um, And my philosophy, I mean, it's obviously bendable, but my general philosophy is I live my life as I do. And if it comes into the therapy room, we, we work with it, we address it and we mitigate it. But you know, I don't necessarily change my life given the what ifs, right? 
Um, and so I would encourage other people to to do the same. Don't change your name or change your name. Sure, go ahead. Change your name. Change your, <laughs> change your life for the what ifs. Obviously, if there's a clear potential, a clear dual relationship, you definitely have to address it. But, you know, I, I would still go to the wedding. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Awesome. Well, I'm so happy that we get to hear your story. Our listeners get to hear your story. We hope it helps people just get to know us a little bit too and why, again, we are the OG fat therapists and why we love to talk about it because we're humans and then we're therapists. <laughs> oh my gosh. Absolutely. And I do have a follow-up with this story. Oh, yes, And please. that is at my own bridal shower, my girlfriend came up to me and she nudged me and she said, hey, so-and-so told me he got the job. <laughs> and I just had to ignore it. I said, I don't know what you're talking about. But she, I think she knew and I knew. And mm-hmm. so it um, it did come back up outside the therapy room, but I did maintain that confidentiality. So yeah. it was his, it was his assessment to share if he wanted and he did. Mm-hmm. So yeah. That's another Thanks part that's so tough, of course. But it's, I'm glad like, I guess personally that you get that little extra tidbit but it is so hard that we have to say, like, I don't know what you're talking about or, you know, things like that. Or good. Be... I just wanted to say, like, good for him. Right. Yeah, you want to um, celebrate something. Yeah, but I, I don't know what you're talking about. Mm-hmm. So, Oh, gosh. Yeah. Well, again, thank you so much for sharing. It was so good to hear your story. And we will be back next time with my story. <laughs> Yay. I can't wait to hear about your bad therapist story. Oh, it's a good one. <laughs> Thanks for listening, everyone. Bye. And that's it. The OG Bad Therapists, Allie and Catherine, are signing off for the week. Make sure to subscribe and leave us a review. If you include your Instagram handle, we just might send you some Bad Therapist swag. Are you a bad therapist and want to be on the show? Go to abadtherapist.com and tell us your story. Our podcast is produced and edited by my amazing husband, Austin Joy. He also created the music for our intro and outro. You can find this song, along with many others, on any music platform under the artist Air For Effect. And if you're a bad therapist starting your own podcast, contact Austin for his full suite of podcast and sound production services. You can find him on Instagram at Air For Effect. And don't forget, we're all bad therapists.